0: The Toyota Gazoo Racing family has grown bigger with Toyota's most exciting vehicles, GR Supra, GR86, and the first-ever GR Corolla Hot Hatch with a turbocharged 300-horsepower engine and GR4 all-wheel drive. These are performance cars by enthusiasts for enthusiasts, and are all track-tested and meticulously engineered. And now they're all available in manual. Plus, all vehicles in the Toyota Gazoo Racing family come with a complimentary National Autosport Association membership, including one free high-performance driving event with professional instruction. Visit toyota.com slash GR family to find your perfect Toyota. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Puzzles may seem like fairly pedestrian pastimes, fun ways to while away a rainy afternoon. While they certainly do make for satisfying diversions, my guest would say they're also more than that teaches plenty about life as well. His name is AJ Jacobs and he's the author of The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever, from crosswords to jigsaws to the meaning of life. Today in the show, AJ explains what makes a puzzle a puzzle and why we're drawn to them and enjoy them so much. We then discuss the charm of certain puzzles, from crosswords and rubus cubes to jigsaws and mazes. Along the way, we discuss some of the strategies behind solving these puzzles and how these strategies can help you become an all-around better thinker and decision maker and better navigating the puzzling dilemmas of life itself. After the show's over, check out our show notes at awmis puzzles. AJ Jacobs, welcome back to the show.
1: I am delighted to be back. It's been since episode
0: fifty-three. Man, yeah, you were one of the one of the first ones. You were on the I first. Was now, honor
1: to be. Yeah, yeah now, now we're look at
0: you. Now, yeah. Now we're in the eight hundreds. And you got a new book out called The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever, From Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life. And again, this book is, you take this sort of George Plimpton-esque adventure, sort of immersion journalism, and this time you explore puzzles. What what led you down on that path?
1: Well, I've always loved puzzles. Since I was a kid, I, I used to do crosswords. I would make these pencil mazes and that took up my whole living room floor. And I think it informed my worldview. I think I saw all of life as a puzzle. So some of my previous books, I actually can sort of reframe as puzzles. I wrote a book on the year of living biblically, and that was about the puzzle of religion and what do I teach my kids. So I'd always loved them. And I I like to have a nice, strong starting story for my books. And a few years ago, I had this crazy experience that provided me one, which was that I was the answer to one down in the New York Times crossword puzzle. It was author AJ Blank, and I was the answer, AJ Jacobs. And I thought, as a word nerd, this is the greatest moment of my life. You know, this is the holy grail. My wedding was pretty good, but this. This is great. And then my brother-in-law emailed me and he did congratulate me. He did say, you know, congrats. But he also pointed out I was in the Saturday New York Times puzzle. And as you may know, that is the hardest puzzle of the week. Harder than Sunday. All the answers are totally obscure. So his point was, this is not a compliment. This is actually proof that no one knows who you are this is proof in black and white of your obscurity so then i was you know kind of bumming out uh the roller coaster had hit the nadir and then i went on a podcast and i told that story and it happened that one of the new york times crossword makers was listening and he decided to save me and put me in a tuesday puzzle which is one of the easier ones Uh, It's not Monday, but Tuesday is where Lady Gaga and Joe Biden, that's where they appear. So he saved me from my obscurity, and I'll forever be grateful. And I thought, well, this is fun. And it had gotten me back into doing crosswords on a regular basis. I had become addicted. And I thought, well, why do I love these so much? Why do millions of people spend millions of hours on puzzles of all kinds? So I thought, let me do a deep dive. And just spend two years hanging out with the best puzzle makers and puzzle solvers and going around the world when I could. And that's what I did. And that's the uh, the book is the result of that.
0: Okay, we'll start off with a very basic question. Like what makes a puzzle a puzzle? Have Are there philosophers you know knocking this question around?
1: <laughs> I think so. I mean, it's not as popular as The Meaning of Life, but it is, it all depends on your definition. And I have a very big tent for my definition of puzzles. So in the book, I talk about 20 different kinds of puzzles everything from visual puzzles like Where's Waldo to crosswords to Japanese puzzle boxes. But what I think what unites them all is that they all are a problem that requires a solution. That involves ingenuity. You've got to have an unusual idea to solve them. I guess the cliche is out of the box. You've got to think outside the box. And that cliche comes from a puzzle. So I feel okay using it. It was originally meant there's a puzzle with nine dots in a square, and you have to draw four lines to connect all the dots. The only way to do it is to go outside the box with your lines. So that to me is what puzzles, the definition, and also the attraction. Because I think I personally love to think of creative ideas. And I think that's what has propelled humans. That's how we got the wheel and fire. That is the type of thinking that has brought us humanity's greatest advances.
0: Well, I like a Japanese puzzle maker gave this really succinct definition of a puzzle. And I really liked it and uses just symbols. It's question mark, arrow, exclamation point.
1: Yeah, I love that. And it means the question mark is when you arrive and you're baffled and what's going on. The arrow is the struggle, the like trying things out, trying to figure to solve the problem. And the exclamation point is that aha moment that, oh my God, that's great. That is. And what's interesting, two things. First of all, I think that's a good, not just for puzzles, I think it's a good. Summary of so much of stories. Stories require conflict and resolution. Life, perhaps, but I also love this guy. His name was Makikaji. He's the godfather of Sudoku. He popularized Sudoku, and he said the key to puzzles and the key to life is you have to enjoy that arrow. You can't be all about the exclamation point. You have to enjoy the solving process and the journey and i love that and i try to remember that when i am in the middle of the most frustrating puzzle and i want to throw it across the room i try to remind myself this is the arrow just enjoy the arrow it's all part of the journey
0: well yeah so that arrow part puzzles can be really frustrating at times and yet people spend hours on them it, there's something enjoyable about the frustration what is it about puzzles like why do we like why do we even do puzzles anyways
1: well, I think it's the same reason we do marathons and climb mountains. And you, I don't know if you've had Paul Bloom on your podcast, but he's a great psychologist. And he talks a lot about why do we enjoy painful things? And there are a couple of reasons. One is the cultural. We have the Puritan work ethic. We are sort of accustomed to associating hard work with good things. But the second is that it's wired into us as humans. We are wired to want to work hard to achieve our goals. And, you know, there's the cliche, no pain, no gain. I actually don't think that's technically true. You can't have gain without pain. But a lot of times the pain does yield something good. So I prefer, you know, different people like different kinds of pain. So I am not uh, someone who's going to climb Everest, but I am happy to tackle the hardest puzzles in the world.
0: I also, too, you, all, you talk about this throughout the book with some of the people you talk about, that puzzles, like, you know, there's a solution to it. Mm. And a lot of life is just uncertain and you don't know what the right thing to do is for you know in a relationship or should I take this job? Puzzles, even though it might take you forever, you know there's an answer, and there's something satisfying about that.
1: Oh yeah, especially now that you know life is so confusing and there are no easy answers. This is the platonic ideal of a problem where there is always an answer. And I say to me, there are many parallels between life and puzzles, but uh, but life is more like a jigsaw puzzle where the pieces are always changing shape and maybe the picture is also changing so it's a, it's more complicated but uh, but puzzles are good training for it nonetheless
0: so do we know how long humans have been doing puzzles like what's the earliest known puzzle
1: again the it depends how you define puzzle i mean there is uh, i talked to a scientist who studies slime molds mm. and they solve mazes it's crazy she's studying how they they put food at the end of a maze and a slime mold figures out how to get to the food So there's that type of puzzle. The earliest puzzles that I know of in terms of actual, what we consider puzzles are probably riddles. Riddles have been around for millennia. And uh, in every culture, you can find them. The earliest riddle, I'll tell it to you, it's not a knee slapper. It's not like the whole, you're not going to love it. But I guess it was funny back in ancient Babylon. It's a Babylonian riddle. And it says, what gets fat without eating? And pregnant without having sex? And the answer is, I won't even make a guess because it's... It,
0: it's well, I remember more, it. It's clouds. Oh, you do?
1: Yeah, it's exactly. It's yeah. a rain cloud. Yeah, a rain cloud. Nice yeah. work remembering. So yeah, that was the first. And that has continued. Riddles continue to be a puzzle form that's in every culture. And also there's the crossover of history and puzzles. I talk in the book about a puzzle that helped save Western civilization, which was... It was in 1942, and there was a really hard puzzle in the London Telegraph newspaper. And at the end, it said, if you have solved this crossword in less than 12 minutes, then contact this number. And that number happened to be the code-breaking arm of the British spy agency. It was the Bletchley Park, where they helped crack the Nazi code and win the war. So... Puzzles can save the world. That's puzzle. my
0: thesis. That's that's great. So let's talk about some of these puzzles you highlight. And you start off with crossword puzzles, which is a good starting point because this whole thing kickstarted with you being an answer to a crossword puzzle clue. One thing I was surprised about crossword puzzles is it's a relatively relatively new type of puzzle. When was the first crossword puzzle published?
1: The first one was in 1913 in the New York World newspaper. And what I love, my favorite part about that history is the New York Times looked down on crosswords. A lot of other newspapers started to print them and they became a, a big craze. They were uh, There was a Broadway show about them. But in the 20s and 30s, if you look at the New York Times, they ran articles about how horrible crosswords were for society. It was like they treated it like crack cocaine. They said it was a pestilence. They said that it, people were murdering each other and divorces were happening. That uh, there were prison riots over crosswords. Literally, these are all headlines in the Times. And then in 1942, World War II came, and they decided people needed a distraction, and they finally embraced it. And now they're considered the top of the puzzle pyramid.
0: So, what makes a good makes for a good crossword puzzle? Like, have have they the crossword puzzle makers like do they have, they have this down to a science yet?
1: I wouldn't say it's a science. It's still an art and a science, but there are definitely parts that make it better. And to me, there are two parts of a crossword. There's the trivia. So what's the river in Uganda? And then there's the wordplay. And that is what true crossword puzzle lovers usually prefer the wordplay. Will Shorts, who's the editor of the New York Times Crossword, says his favorite clue ever... It, it was something like, it turns into another story. And the answer was spiral staircase. So I I am a fan of wordplay as well.
0: So you do these crossword puzzles, you do the hard one. And along the way, you find these insights about problem solving from crossword puzzles. What were the big ones that stood out to you that were applicable to other parts of your life?
1: Well, a whole bunch. I mean, one is... Some people do the crossword in pen. I do it in pencil and I am proud because I think the eraser is one of the greatest inventions we have or the delete key. I do it online sometimes. So the key to solving any problem is cognitive flexibility. You cannot cannot fall in love with your hypothesis and say this is the way it's got to be, whether in crosswords or in life. And I think that's a huge problem that afflicts us as a society. We are so sure that our answer is the right one, we are unwilling to listen to evidence or to the other side. So eraser, the way of the eraser, that's a big one. Another one I have is, and Bill Clinton actually talked about this in the crossword puzzle documentary. It's called Wordplay. And he talked about sometimes you look at a really hard crossword and nothing will click for 5 minutes you'll just be going through and nothing and then finally you get the get one answer you get a little toehold and from that you can work out and get another and another and another so that is a way i solve a lot of problems is i just find that one toehold that one way in and then you can expand out even writing the book like or a chapter i'll find that one quote or vivid anecdote that i know will work and then i will expand from there so that was another lesson and there are tons others but yeah i find crosswords and puzzles are like they're like wise philosophy teachers they teach you how to think and live
0: yeah the find the hold. i mean I, I think people naturally do that with a crossword puzzle they just find the clue they can answer right away because then it just from there, you just gets the ball rolling. I've done that technique, like you in writing, right? When I have to write something, yeah. like the, you try to write the beginnings, like this is not coming, but I'll just write the part that just it's really easy, and then the beginning writes itself once you exactly. you get going.
1: Oh yeah, that's so huge. Right. And
0: the other the other thing I noticed with with crossword puzzles when I when I did them, being patient, like being able to put it aside and then you know mm. sort of marinating and letting it stew, and then you come back to it and you look at it again, it's like oh yeah. This is what that is. It was so obvious, oh, and I've applied that to my life as well.
1: so important. I, I mean, first of all, I love the word marinate because I think that's what your brain is kind of doing, marinating on the problem, not consciously, but somewhere back there. And there's there's lots of science on this that one of the best ways to solve problems is put it away, do something else for an hour, a day, a week, And then you come back and you'll have a fresh perspective and you'll have been working on it. And what I love is this is not a new insight. Leonardo da Vinci wrote a guide to how to be a painter. And one of his main suggestions is if you get to a tricky part, a problem in your painting and can't solve it, walk away and then come back and you will be able to
0: solve it. Well, another thing I I, I did, so I did crosswords puzzles a lot when I was in high school. This one summer I worked at the paint shop at the University of Oklahoma's medical school. And I was just with these salty, they were like 50, (laughs) 60 year old guys, you know, just really gritty, but they love doing the crossword puzzle. I'd get there Mm -hmm. in the morning and there'd be some guy there with the the paper folded doing the crossword and we work on it at lunch break and then our different breaks. Uh, but like it was like it's a very communal activity. Like we did it together. So you have these guys who were you know telling dirty jokes, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> five minutes earlier, and like trying to like figure out some wordplay, sophisticated wordplay.
1: Well, I love that you bring that up because there is a stereotype that puzzles are a, a solo activity, and like you just sit in the corner with your crosswords. But almost everyone in the in the puzzle community I ran into it's the complete opposite. It's such a communal activity and you're talking with your friends and comparing and saying, you know, you have any hints for this or what do you think that is? And it really bonds people together. There's even some social science that says one of the if you have people of different opinions, like liberals and conservatives, one of the best ways to bring them together is to have them solve a puzzle. And you can see that in Uh, Team Built. My wife actually owns a company, Watson Adventures. It's wonderful. And they put on scavenger hunts. And it's all about people collaborating to solve these puzzles because it works for this. Everyone has a strength. You know, someone might be really good at at visual puzzles or or, or at math puzzles or word puzzles. So I love that aspect.
0: We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Tis the season of laughter. Sweaters, warmer drinks, and colds coming at you from left and right. Cold season is on the way. It's already hit our household here in the McKay family. And it's best to stay prepared so you don't miss all the actual fun things cold weather has to offer. If you have a throat, you probably do, you should be stocking up on Ricola's most powerful drop yet, Ricola Max Throat Care. It's the very best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum throat relief from your worst cough and sore throat when you need it most. I don't know for you guys, for me, I always get those coughing jags at night when I got a cold. Terrible. Pop in a Ricola Max Throat Care, boom, takes care of it. We'll all be doing a lot of giving, so think of Ricola as the tiny little presence of relief waiting to be unwrapped for you. Maximum menthol for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. Ricola! Find it at grocery stores or drug stores in the cold and cough aisle. We often refer to the past as simpler times, but was it really? Before the internet, how did people find customers for a new business? We had probably had to print out flyers and business cards and post them on posts and in other businesses, pay for radio advertising. It was a lot of work. The internet makes it a lot easier, but more specifically, Squarespace makes all aspects of building a brand and growing a business online possible, all with one service. First, if you're going to start a business, you need to have a website. Squarespace makes that easy to do. You can get a great looking website up in just a few minutes. It's point, click, and drag. And with your website, you can sell products and services. Uh, really easy to do. In addition to providing the tools you need to actually share your products information, Squarespace Analytics allows you to use insights to grow your business and learn where your site visits and sales are coming from. If you want to try this out, head to squarespace.com manliness for a free trial when you're ready to launch, use promo code MANLINESS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash manliness for a free trial. Promo code MANLINESS to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. And now back to the show. Okay, so we've talked about crossword puzzles. Another puzzle you highlight is the Rubik's Cube. It's an interesting, this is a new puzzle too, but it became this cultural phenomenon. I mean, I can't imagine a world without Rubik's Cube. So what's oh, yeah? The, yeah wow. what's the story there?
1: Well, that. Well, first of all, what's your history? Have you ever solved it?
0: Uh, I solved it when I was like 10 by taking it apart and then putting it <laughs> together. I had, there's actually, there's that book like that was written in the 70s by that one kid. Right. My my parents actually had that. And I remember, I think I was like nine or 10 trying to follow the instructions in that book. And I was like, no, I'm just gonna take it apart and put it together. <laughs> That's the only time I saw the Rubik's Cube.
1: Well, first of all, That is one interesting way to solve a puzzle is it's sort of the Gordian knot. You chop it in half. I'll say enough of this. I'm going to. So kudos to you (laughs) for solving it that way. It started in the eighties and it was like huge and then it kind of faded away, but then it came back because of YouTube. So now there are millions of kids who are obsessed with it and they there's the speed cubing competitions, which will blow your mind. I mean, these kids, the world record for solving a Rubik's Cube is three and a half seconds. It's crazy. Like, I can't even look at it in three and a half seconds, and I don't know where to start. But anyway, I did, I eventually, during this project, I solved the Rubik's Cube. It took me, uh, you know, 50 plus years, I guess 40 plus years, but I learned a lot. About Rubik's and and the allure of it, and why people love it so much. And I think part of it is, is just an extraordinary fact that this little cube has I don't know if you remember, but the number is insane 45 quintillion possible arrangements. It's just a mind boggling number. We can't even comprehend that. That's like more than the stars that you can see. It is just insane. And yet, if you do it correctly, you can get that one arrangement that is the right solution. So to me, that's like, that is super inspiring. 45 quintillion. That's like the smallest needle and the biggest haystack ever. You can actually solve something that has 45 quintillion options.
0: Yeah, that 45 quintillion number really instills a lot of humility in you. Yeah, thinking about it, like how big it is. But I like how you, you use the Rubik's Cube to explore the difference between creative problem-solving and skill. And there seems to be some like tension there between the generations, like the original Rubik's Cube solvers yeah. and today's kids who are solving these things in three seconds. Tell us about that distinction in problem-solving that the Rubik's Cube can shed a light on.
1: Yeah, I, one of the people I spent some time with was one of the original champions way back in 1981 or two, and he he's the one who wrote the book, How to Solve the Cube in 45 Seconds, which now is like an eternity. But back then, that was a big deal. And he's, he's funny. He loves the pe- kids, love the Rubik's Cube, but he's a little grumpy because he does say that it's different. Back then, people had to discover how to solve the Rubik's Cube. You had to create your own algorithm, your own way of solving it. And now you can go on YouTube and memorize a couple dozen algorithms and solve it that way. So it's a different skill. It's sort of exploratory and science versus memorization. And both are important. I admire both. But I do prefer puzzles where you have to come up with the solution in a totally new way, and it doesn't require as much memorization. So maybe I'm on the old fogey side of like uh, like this guy.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of on the old fogey side because it kind of takes the puzzle out of the puzzle. If you just you know what the answer is, if you just input these things, you'll get it. Right. And, I don't know. It doesn't seem as fun.
1: Although I... I just wanted to defend the these young kids cuz it does require some a lot of skill to figure out which algorithms sure. to do. So that is a puzzle.
0: Yeah, and I noticed like with my kids too that they YouTube is crazy. It's great. It, it I like how it motivates them to do things. But I've noticed that they'll like my daughter's really into Minecraft mm. and instead of trying to figure out how to build things on her own, like she'll just watch a YouTube video and just kind of pause and then like do the thing and then watch it and then like and she builds this cool thing and it's it's I mean it took a lot of patience to do it but it's like yeah I don't I don't want to <laughs> you know diss on my daughter uh, but I was like well you know you just watched a video on how to do that like it would it would have been cooler I want to see what you wanted like if you were you know free building what would you make
1: right well it's like the uh, the difference between Legos when we were kids and Legos now
0: oh yeah like,
1: when I when I was a kid it was just a bunch of blocks and you had to create something. And now they have these elaborate kits where you have to follow 150 instructions and get it. And they are both, they both have their benefits. So I don't want to be too much of an old fogey and dis following instructions to create this spaceship. But I still I think I prefer the old type where you're just given a bunch of random Lego bricks and you create yourself.
0: So let's talk about my favorite puzzle. Just is the jigsaw puzzle. Uh,
1: I love that you love it.
0: So I'm curious, like uh, you, you spent your time talking to people who make just really simple jigsaw puzzles to individuals in Vermont who make $100,000 jigsaw puzzles, handcrafted, <laughs> and you've been putting together a lot of jigsaw puzzles. Did you figure out like what is it is about jigsaw puzzles that are, you know, they're so relaxing and soothing, but at the same time, like they're incredibly addictive.
1: They really are. I know I had that feeling when... Like it's uh, just one more. I'm just going to get one right, more yeah. piece. Yeah, and one more, yeah. And then it's three in the morning. And it's funny because I was a jigsaw puzzle skeptic and I became a convert. I don't know why I was so snobby, but I, um I, for some reason hadn't done them. And then I started to do them and I was like, oh yeah. And I think there are two, there, there are two different ways you can do jigsaw puzzle. One is as meditation. And I think that was big in the pandemic. I mean, jigsaws at the beginning of the pandemic, you couldn't find them. They were like hand sanitizing. You couldn't, people just snapped them up because they needed that, that escape. And it, you can get into the flow and the, and the hours just pass by like minutes. So that is one, but then there are the jigsaw puzzles where it's more about trying to solve a really complex puzzle And either that could be speed. There are people who are obsessed with solving them quickly. And I wrote in the book, one of my favorite adventures that my family and I went on was we went to Spain and competed as Team USA in the World Jigsaw Puzzle Championship. And we humiliated our country. (laughs) I apologize to my fellow Americans. We came in second to last. But it was wonderful because you got to see these people at the top of their game, the you know the LeBron Jameses of, uh, of jigsaws and just how fast their minds and hands were moving. And it was remarkable. But then there's another type of challenging jigsaw, which are the ones you mentioned, sort of these artisanal woodcut jigsaw puzzles that uh, – that are super tricky and have you know, edge pieces look like regular pieces they're 3D there are pieces from other puzzles thrown in just to mess with you and i learned to love those 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 you have to have you you have to know that frustration is going to be a large part of it but i find them just fun and weird and absurd and delightful
0: yeah my i do Jigsaws for the meditative purposes. That's that's why I do them. <laughs> um, and I was saying earlier, I'm very particular about my jigsaw puzzling. I, what
1: do you like and what do you not like? Okay,
0: so, well, there's one. There's jigsaw puzzle season, mm-hmm. and it starts September 1st and goes through December 31st. That's the only time I do jigsaw puzzles. And um, <laughs> they have to be... I, I I like the like Americana folk art puzzles, right? Mm-hmm. Charles Wysocki is my favorite. And then uh, I have to listen to puzzle playing playlist which is oh. it's primarily schmaltzy easy listening and muzak so like i'm talking like the Sid dale orchestra like i basically want to feel like i'm walking through a montgomery's ward in 1987 when i'm doing puzzles
1: <laughs> i'm relaxed just hearing about it yeah that sounds lovely yeah, yeah that is but
0: fun. you um highlight some things like the same sort of things that you know how to tackle puzzles that i've kind of picked up on my on my own you get that toehold Sometimes you just start with the, like, if you see something that you can put together easy, start there. And from there you can build off. And then you found some other little cool little tricks to put together jigsaw puzzles.
1: Yeah, one that I did not expect, but these high-level jigsaws, they don't only do it by color. They also paid a lot of attention to the shape. And if you're hit with, like, a big blue sky and you, you don't know what to do, they will sort the sky pieces by shape. So they'll have a section of one Audi and three innies and two outies oh, and wow. two innies, and they'll have these little piles and then using those, they'll be able to assemble it quickly. So I think that's great. I just, I never thought of jigsaws as having a lot of strategy, but they do at the high level. You can really, um, you know, separate yourself using these tricks.
0: So you also did mazes. You talked about when you were a kid, you, you, drew mazes on the ground that covered her whole apartment. I, I'm sure every kid has done that when they're in class and they're bored. They draw <laughs> they make their own maze on their folder. Do how long have humans been using mazes as puzzles? Did you figure that out?
1: Well, yeah, definitely millennia. I mean, there's the myth, I don't think it actually existed of the the minotaur at the in the middle of a maze in the island of Crete, and that was a maze you didn't want to go into because if you got lost, then the minotaur would eat you. But they have been used, they've been used for spiritual purposes. People talk about how mazes are like prayer through walking. But then uh, they're also entertainment in the Middle Age, or yeah, the Middle Ages, or a little later, Europe had a ton of hedge mazes and people would have trysts in them. So they have a long history.
0: And then you tackled, like, one something some that became really popular in America in the past, I would say, 25, 30 years, are these corn mazes. And you went to Vermont to tackle the largest, most complicated corn maze. Tell us about that experience.
1: Yeah, I love this. This is the Great Vermont uh, Corn Maze, it's called. And it, it's huge, 24 acres and there's no governing body that says this is the hardest corn maze, but it seems that this is probably the hardest in America. And the guy who who started it, Mike Boudreau, he's a great guy uh, and just uh, delightfully sadistic, though he is. You know, he'll he will gleefully tell you that people will weep, they'll get lost, they'll get in fights. Uh, one father drove, abandoned his family wife and kids and drove off because he was so frustrated and he says you know don't bring your teenage kids because it's too hard and it is yeah like you know I got it took me over four hours of twists and turns and and there are all sorts of you know dead ends that will just mess with your mind and I love it one of the things I loved was talking to him because he says he stands up on a platform above the maze and watches like like a god. He watches these mortals as they try to make their way. And he says it's a real lesson in human psychology. And he says a lot of times people, he says especially young men, which I thought was telling, will have that cognitive inflexibility I was talking about. They are so convinced they're right. So they'll go down a corridor, they'll hit a dead end, and they're like, Okay, and then they go back, and they go down it again, and they just keep going down that same corridor, so convinced that they're right, despite the evidence, the clear evidence that it's a dead end. So, well, mazes, like every other puzzle, and, uh, and I think every every activity, you need to be more flexible.
0: You talked about logic puzzles, and this reminded me, there was a period in my life where I became obsessed with logic puzzles because mm-hmm. they're part of the LSAT the test you take mm, to get into right, law I school. I remember
1: you did, yeah. Yeah.
0: And so tell us about what's what's typical law, you know, a logic puzzle look like and why would law schools think you need to learn how to do these things in order to get into law school?
1: Well, that is interesting. Do you remember any, the, any of the logic yes. puzzles that you studied?
0: So there's these sort of things where there's like, you know, there's five people, Sam, Alex, uh, Jane, Brad, and they are going to... Uh, Bring five different items on these seven different days. And like you right. get a clue, like, okay, Brad brought this on this day, but like not on that day. And then you have to figure out who brings what on what day. That sort of right. thing.
1: Right. That's interesting. Yeah. I, there are lots of different types of logic puzzles. That one I think of as sort of the clue, uh, the board game. Clue. Yeah. It's like clue. And to me, the big lesson of those is. They, they're not that hard if you figure out how to uh, diagram them. Yeah. So it's uh, if you do it in your head, then it's a mess. But if you just diagram it correctly and you're able to check them off, then it's pretty easy. And I don't know why the LSAT people put it in. I assume it's because they think that it's a sign of clear thinking and rational thinking, which I do believe. I don't know how much it helps you as a lawyer. But there are lots of other types of logic puzzles. I am particularly a fan of the lateral thinking puzzles. I don't know if you know those, the ones where it's like there's a man in a field and uh, he's got an unopened backpack on his back and he's face down and he's dead. What happened?
0: Oh, yeah. My kids love those. My kids love those. I love them. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And the answer to that one, just in case, if you want to pause it and try to figure it out. But he's a parachutist, and uh, the, the pack didn't know. Uh. So and then there's other ones that are similar. I wouldn't call them quite lateral thinking, but they do require some sort of uh, leap of imagination. So, for instance, there are two girls in a classroom, and they were born to the same mother on the same month, the same year, the same day, but they're not twins, What's going
0: on? Yeah, I remember my actually, my kids told me this one. I can't remember. What is the answer?
1: <laughs> they are
0: triplets uh, or yeah. quadruplets, yeah. could be quintuplets, right. you
1: name it. So, yeah, I am a fan of the logic puzzles. And one of the people I interviewed, one of my favorite, was this Soviet mathematician who is, uh, well, formerly Soviet. She's an emigre. She came here and fled the Soviet Union. And uh, she has a math blog. Called Tanya's puzzle blog. And it is so, uh, she has solved pretty much every logic puzzle ever created by humans. And one thing she talks about, she talks a lot about how you do have to think outside the box, but her students have taught her to think even farther outside the box, that she's in a box of her own. So the example she gives is there's a famous logic puzzle where. Uh, there's uh, you have um, a basket full of 5 apples and you give out all the apples to your 5 friends and you give an apple to each of your 5 friends but there's still one apple left in the basket what's going on and the answer the traditional answer is that you give that last apple to a friend in the basket you're like gifting them a basket in addition to an apple little bonus so that's why but she says her students have come up with all these other creative possibilities like you know even one of your um could be that the basket is your friend you know maybe inanimate objects are your friend or maybe one of your one of the five people died so it's uh I love that idea that you can think outside the box or you can think way outside the box.
0: Uh, there's another genre of puzzles you tackled, and that is ciphers and codes. And you went to the headquarters of ciphers and codes in the United States to the CIA. Right. And there's an art installment there with this code on it that has not been cracked in over 30 years. Uh, what's going on there? Why is there art with the code that can't be cracked by the CIA at the CIA?
1: Yeah, this was one and that chapter was, I loved researching because codes are everywhere. I mean, that is, it's why we can use credit cards. It's, uh, you know, there's uh, cryptocurrency is all about codes, but the CIA, one of their stated purposes is to crack codes. And about 30 years ago, they hired a sculptor to create a sculpture on the grounds of the CIA headquarters in Virginia. And he teamed up with an ex-CIA cryptographer and they created this work of art. It's a, a huge metal wall, and into it are carved hundreds of letters. And those letters, they're, they look random, but they are a code. And even though it's in the middle of the CIA, no one has been able to fully crack that code in all of those 30 years, including the CIA. Uh, they've cracked parts of it. So we have parts, and some of them, some of the code seems to be uh, like a longitude and latitude maybe of some buried treasure some of it are quotes from the guy who discovered King Tut's tomb but there's a part that is still unsolved and the, what I love is that there are thousands of people, uh, mostly in an online community, who spend inordinate amounts of time trying to crack this code and it's been 30 years and they every day they have a new theory, oh I think it's I think it's Morse code. I think it's related to the Navajo wind talkers, you know, all sorts of theories, but they haven't given up and it's been 30 years, 32 years. And so I try to take that as inspiration when I'm helping my kids with their math homework and I want to give up after 45 seconds. I say, you know what? These guys have been going for 32 years. Let me give it another couple of minutes.
0: But the uh, the world of code breaking and cipher puzzle solvers taught you a lot about the dark side of puzzles. What was that?
1: Well, this is interesting. I think um, puzzles are all about finding patterns, and science is all about finding patterns, and that is that can be a great thing. That has huge benefits. But we are wired, so hardwired to find patterns that sometimes we find patterns that don't exist. And that is the word for that is apophenia. That's the psychological word. And for instance, finding the Virgin Mary's face in a piece of French toast, that's classic apophenia. And the problem with apophenia is you become attached to that pattern and you refuse to let it go, even if you are presented with evidence that it's not true or it's not going where anywhere. So the key to avoiding apophenia is to keep your mind flexible. But apophenia has huge real-life repercussions, and I think it's responsible for a lot of the problems we have right now. So people are finding patterns in the world that don't exist. It's what cons- a lot of conspiracy theories are, basically solving puzzles that don't exist. So QAnon, they have found all these puzzle pieces and put them together, and they have quote-unquote solved this puzzle, but the pieces don't fit together. It, it is not true, and but they refuse to change their thesis no matter how much evidence they're given. So apophenia is solving puzzles that don't exist, and you've got to be very careful. So don't fall in love with your hypothesis keep an open mind keep flexible that is the only way to battle this uh, this dangerous drive in our minds
0: and i think all of us experience apophenia on some level it might not be conspiracy theory level but we i'm sure we've all encountered things where we think you know we try to read people's minds for example and we see we start seeing things like on um, what they're saying or not saying or like what they're doing we're saying yes this means they don't like me um, And they got this right. vendetta against me. And basically, you're just putting together pieces of information that are disparate and have no meaning to make meaning in your head.
1: So true. I mean, I'm sure that half of my beliefs are based on apophenia. And <laughs> I've got to try to go through and, and think about them. But it is such a drive. And even... During this year, solving puzzles, I remember I was doing a scavenger hunt. I didn't even write about it, but one of the clues had to do with a, a mouse in Central Park and it had arches. And it just so happened I had seen Stuart Little 2, the movie, and it was Stuart Little had an airplane and he drove it through arches in Central Park. And so I was like, oh, it's got to be Stuart Little. That's the answer. And I went to Central Park and I spent hours trying to verify my, and it was totally wrong. It had nothing to do with the answer, but I was so attached to it, I couldn't see through it.
0: So one thing you've, you've taken away from this book after researching and writing it is trying to take the lessons you've learned from puzzle doing and puzzle solving and puzzle creating and applying it to life. I mean, do you think it's possible to treat all of life's problems and challenges and annoyances as puzzles? Do you think that, is that... Something it's, do you think we can do in our head that and it can actually make things better?
1: I definitely think that that frame can make things better. I don't know about all problems and puzzles, but a lot of them. And I try to do it in my life. Quincy Jones, the great musician, he has a quote where he says, I don't have problems. I have puzzles. And I think it's so inspiring because problems are are thorny and depressing and insoluble a lot of times. Whereas puzzles, they can be solved, and they, uh, you know, they are inspiring. They, you want to solve them. Then, even sometimes they involve playfulness. So, uh, I try to frame uh, my life's challenges as puzzles. How can I solve them? And one of the one of the hardest puzzles we face now is just you know how do we bridge the gap between The culture, the culture war, that to me is a huge puzzle. And when I'm talking to someone from the other side of the political spectrum, I could try to debate them, but that rarely, you know, this sort of war of words, it rarely yields anything. In fact, usually polarizes both sides. So instead, I try to treat it as a puzzle. And I say, you know, why do you believe what you believe? Why do I believe what I believe? is there any evidence that we could change our minds is where do we go from here is there any common ground we have now all those are puzzles that you can work on collaboratively in a conversation and i think that's much more likely to yield something useful than to you know berate each other so to me one of the phrases i i learned during the pandemic was uh, don't get furious get curious. And I think that is a very nice little puzzle motto that I try to remember all the time.
0: Have you tried to help your kids take, uh, you know, take up the puzzle mentality with their life? Oh,
1: sure. and you know, it's a puzzle of how to get them to listen to me, which I have not solved that puzzle, (laughs) but, uh, but I do think, uh, Yeah. If they are faced with something, uh, you know, we often talk about the strategies we use in puzzling. Like, you know, if they are faced with a big sort of term paper, you know, well, just take it step by step. Anne Lamott has that great uh, quote, bird by bird. Like her brother had to write a paper on all birds in North America. And he's like, what do I do? And their father said, just do bird by bird. And that is a great puzzle strategy, just one step at a time.
0: Well, AJ, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work?
1: I'm at AJJacobs.com or ThePuzzlerBook.com or I'm on Twitter at AJJacobs. And I would love to hear from folks and about their favorite puzzles. And there's tons of puzzles in the book for them to solve. So if they need hints on that, then uh, they can also contact me.
0: Well, AJ Jacobs, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. My
1: pleasure. And I hope to come back before episode. It would be like 1700.
0: <laughs> we'll make it happen. All right, thanks. My guest today was AJ Jacobs. He's the author of The Puzzler. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find more information about his work at his website, ajjacobs.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash puzzles. You can find links to resources where you delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Make sure to check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles written over the years about pretty much anything you would think of. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code MANLESS at checkout for a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android iOS, and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate if you take one minute to give us your view on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member you would think we get something out of it as always think of the continued support until next time's brett mckay remind you not on the list they win podcast but put what you've heard into action
1: What could be germier than a bathroom doorknob? Try unclean countertops, TV remotes, fridge handles, gaming controls, and all kinds of things around the house. Help your family stay happy, healthy, and uninterrupted by illness this year with Clorox disinfecting wipes, Clorox bleach, and Clorox disinfecting mist. They kill 99.9% of cold and flu viruses on hard, non-porous surfaces when used as directed. So get germs out of the way and get on with your day with Clorox. You're unstoppable when you start clean.